0: Well, good morning, Menlo Church, and welcome to the beginning of a really important series that's actually starting today called Explore God, where we are joining churches from all around the Bay Area, who are also trying to provide a place for people to learn about faith, not just in gathered worship services like this, but also special discussion groups at all of our campuses. We are so glad that you're here. And a special welcome if maybe this is your very first time at a Menlo campus, or if you're watching online for the first time. I hope whoever invited you, if you came with someone, also promised you brunch after this, maybe a uh, time to be able to go hang out and have a conversation about their own faith experience and And how they've understood church may be the same for you as well. But before we get started, I'm going to pray for us. And if you've never been here before or you've never heard me speak, before I speak, I pray kneeling. And the reason that I do that is because the framework in the Bible is that when we humble ourselves, God meets us uniquely there. And I don't want God to show up over the next few minutes. We need him to. We need him to show up in conversations like this to move our hearts closer to him if you're a follower or maybe to move you closer towards him if you aren't yet one. So wherever you are, would you humble yourself in the quiet of your heart and pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you so much that in the midst of so many reasons for us to be somewhere else, doing something else, listening to something else, we're here. Thank you that in the midst of so many reasons that you would have been morally justified to give up on humanity, you haven't. Your love for us has never grown cold, stale, or distant. Would you show us that together today? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, over the next several weeks, um, we are going to examine a question each and every week together in hopes that we can hopefully spark a conversation, maybe with your friends, maybe with your family, your neighbors, your coworkers. Because at the end of the day, if this conversation that we're having starts and stops with 30 minute messages, we have failed. Now, let me tell you what my goal is for today. If you're a Christian, I hope that you will invite someone with you next week, whether you invited someone or not today. And if you're not a Christian, man, thanks for being here, and I hope you'll come back with a friend next week. My goal is to earn another week in a conversation like this. Here's why I know that's hard. I'm discovering this for the first time. Fall in the Bay Area is magical. Don't tell anybody. They might move here. The weather is perfect. You're maximizing time personally or in a relationship or as a family, and choosing to have a difficult, introspective look into the underlying assumptions of life, it turns out is harder than that sometimes. Now, in the words of someone that lots of people think of as their own personal role model, maybe America's pastor, Taylor Swift, she says, I stare directly at the sun but never in the mirror and I think that feels way too literal for many people today doesn't it it's also about a culture in which we have an assumption of constant consumption to avoid silence and reflection for what it might have to say about the direction of our life our question today is does life have purpose and there are places where this question is probably harder to answer Places in America where the purpose feels like living a quiet life and trying to enjoy it as much as you can. But in Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area, we have a pretty quick answer overall. See, most of us, we live here, we moved here, or we stayed here because we want to change the world. Creating a better tomorrow is not a company tagline for us. It's fundamental to why we joined the startup that we did, or go to the school that we go to, live in the town that we live in. We chose a harder life on purpose. Somewhere along the way, you sensed that things weren't the way they were supposed to be. You wanted to solve a problem no one could solve, or you wanted to address a need that lots of people had tried and failed to meet. It's incredible. It's incredible. I feel honored to live here, but aren't you exhausted? (laughs) There are certainly different groups represented here and a spectrum of our relationships to stress. On one extreme, we have some who have such a high level of stress avoidance that they're staying at a job or in a situation, maybe even in a relationship, because it's more comfortable and they have to decide. You have to decide if you really want more. For others, it's an obsession with stress. It's actually affecting your brain. There's one condition called toxic stress where we can damage our limbic system to the point where we can't regularly process emotions or interact with other people on a healthy level because we're living with so much stress all the time. And the goal, it isn't to avoid stress altogether, but to have a positive relationship to stress. Where it can press us to more without being something we have to have constantly or something we have to avoid universally your purpose should bring a relationship to stress that is sustainable how's that going see one of the downsides of trying to change the world without the maker of the world involved is you feel the weight of the world every day on your shoulders We've watched statistics on anxiety skyrocket. Depression and anxiety in recent years are an epidemic, and we wonder why. It's because we're carrying a purpose without the person designed to carry it with us. The good news is that you probably don't have the wrong purpose entirely. You're just depending on the wrong person for the power of your purpose. Jesus saw this altruistic pursuit in the first century, too, and he invited his earliest followers to a different relationship to their purpose. He said it this way. He says, come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is easy is light. Creating a better tomorrow by yourself is impossible. And trying it is only going to make you more tired and frustrated tomorrow. Our purpose is to live in a relationship with God, the God who made us, and to enjoy that relationship forever as we live connected to him together. That's what we were all made for, whether you realize it or not. We were hardwired for it. But maybe maybe this doesn't make any sense to you. Because life for you right now is going great. Everything seems to be working. And here's what I would encourage you to do. If that's how you feel today, somebody invited you, you came because you were being courteous, I would just encourage you to file these words away. Because a life built on purpose that doesn't have your creator in the center of it will eventually collapse. You will need these words sooner or later. Or maybe for your life you feel like you are really close to achieving the goals and the purpose that you set out. Maybe you've been chasing it for years. But have you thought about what happens when you get there? What happens when all your dreams come true and you discover it can't deliver what it promised? We live in a place where some people can barely survive and others have more money than they would need for multiple lifetimes. The thing is, without a bigger purpose than our circumstances, we will be left empty and lonely anyway, regardless of where we find ourselves on that financial spectrum. There was a man in the Hebrew scriptures, what Christians often call the Old Testament, named Solomon. And Solomon, he lived with extreme wealth, status, and accomplishments. As a matter of fact, Solomon today, he would have been living in the best houses, in the best communities, getting driven around in the best cars, hanging out with all the celebrities, going to party after party, and experiencing the best that was available on the planet. And here's how he described that life. He says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to no wisdom and to no madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. He did everything. <laughs> from from TMZ to TED Talks to generational leadership and wealth. And his description of a life without purpose is that it's like chasing after the wind. You will never catch it. See, the more you get without God, the more you'll have to have. It's a cycle that is never satisfied. Actor and comedian Jim Carrey, he echoes Solomon's words thousands of years later when he said it this way, I wish everyone, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and everything they ever dreamed of, so they can see that's not the answer. And maybe you've heard someone say that, right? I know what we're all thinking. That might be true, but can we try it first just to experience it? (laughs) I grew up in a home with abuse nearly constantly, and the heart of it was my dad's desire to acquire and achieve more. He had been abandoned by his Hollywood starlet mother at birth, And he would spend his entire life trying to make sure he was wanted by others and seen as successful. The hole inside of him would not be filled with status or stuff. Sure, the next promotion or possession would serve as a temporary dopamine hit. But the older he got, the shorter those upgrades satisfied. I remember when I was in high school, he was more successful than he had ever been before in his life. He had his dream car, his dream house, his dream job, a boat he never used, memberships to places he never went, and friends he didn't really like. See, if our purpose is something that wasn't given to us by God, it can be taken away by the circumstances of our lives. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened to my dad. And it's grace that God would let that happen to you too that you might realize you're more than stuff, you're more than status. God's given you a soul designed to be with him forever. For a long time, we've been conditioned to ask the questions that are being presented to us in places like our education or our careers. But we were at least exposed historically to other points of view. This was first distorted in our recent memory through social media, where echo chambers have become totally normal. We began to be conditioned only to see things we like, to hear from people we agree with. And the byproduct is that when we find opposing views or we hear opposing viewpoints, they feel ever more foreign to us than they did before. With artificial intelligence, there's something called prompt engineering, where you can help the artificial intelligence tool give you exactly the response that you want to hear. Is that the life that you want? Again, for some of you, this feels totally unnecessary. You're killing it at work, at school, with friends, in relationships, but without God. And without God, the the pursuit of purpose, it will eventually crush you because you can't do it on your own. And when it does, I'm just here to tell you there is a loving God waiting for you. A pastor who literally wrote a book on this put it this way. He says, without God, life has no purpose, and without purpose life has no meaning. Without meaning, life has no significance or hope. God shares with his people over and over again that regardless of the cultural measuring stick of success and how far you clear it, at our core, we know there's more we were made for. Whether you're somebody that is going, you know what, I don't want anything to do with God. Or you would be somebody that calls yourself a Christian, identifying that you really have more that you're made for, is at the core of answering this question of purpose. So maybe you're wondering, this idea of purpose, where I live my life with God forever and try to create a better tomorrow inspired by and in relationship with Him, isn't that just indoctrination? Aren't I just trying to brainwash you into my way of thinking? Yep. Pretty much. But there is a really good reason for that. And I'm hopefully honest enough to just admit it to you. A brilliant Christian, best known for the book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. We have convinced ourselves that we can simply be respectful to one another. And my choice is to either be a Christian or or maybe choose another religion. They're all the same, right? Or maybe choose nothing. Nuns, this religiously disaffiliated group after all, is the fastest growing religious group in America anyway, right? Does it matter? It absolutely matters. We are all people of faith. Maybe you're like, I'm I'm not a follower of Jesus. No, no, that's not what I said. We are all people of faith. Maybe your faith isn't in God, but you have faith. The bigger thing about our faith, regardless of where, who, or what we place it in, is that living with our faith as a filter becomes what's called a worldview, which all of us also have. We all have worldviews. So how do you view the world? Here's the thing I can tell you. If you aren't giving much thought to how you view the world, then let me assure you, That the advertisers on social media, cable news, sports, they have a worldview that they are trying to sell you every moment of every day, and they have spent a lot of money to sell you on it. You ready for their worldview? Just a little bit more. If you can buy a little bit more, acquire a little bit more, achieve a little bit more, it will eventually be enough. Even though our entire lives, every time we've bought that ad, it's never satisfied. It's never done remember that guy Solomon the richest and most powerful person Israel had ever seen he offers us another helpful and challenging perspective he says then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor this also is vanity and a striving after wind the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh better is a handful of quietness then two hands full of toil and a striving after the wind. If we really look at our own lives, can't that be a frightening warning to all of us? Spending all of our days to acquire things we don't need, to impress people we don't like, for a life we aren't enjoying. That's the game. Doesn't that seem like a purpose maybe we should look at a little closer? Instead, this idea of inner peace Fueled by God, not greed, that's worth considering. If that's possible for us, if we can experience that, even in this world, isn't it worth thinking about? But that worldview that we're constantly scrolling, swiping, and sitting through, it's very tempting. It seems very alluring. The idea behind it is something called cultural pluralism, which is actually really helpful. Cultural pluralism says that we have a right to believe different things, which as a Christian, I am in huge favor of all of us having this personal choice to believe all of this or not. It's entirely up to you. I have no interest in twisting your arm, and neither does God, to believe something you don't want to believe. But a subtle shift has taken place that we should take note of. If cultural pluralism is the idea that you have the right to believe, we have moved to metaphysical pluralism, which says your belief is right regardless of what it is. The problem is that this isn't logically possible. We have competing worldviews. As we'll get into in just future weeks of this series, most of us, we just don't do a lot of examining of this underlying set of assumptions we make in our life. Everybody's right. Do you believe it? Oh, sure. It's right for you if you believe it. That's a nonsensical statement. On the topic of eternity and God, objective reality exists, and we will be held accountable for it. I had a friend in college named Billy. Billy was energetic, fun, and a great person to hang out with. It seemed like overnight his energy level plummeted. He was living in constant pain. I remember the medical path that he started down And it was what some of you have experienced through hardship and pain and difficulty, trying things that you'd never thought you'd had to. Billy went in for test after test, and when they finally diagnosed him, they began an aggressive form of treatment, handfuls of medication and therapies to try and treat the underlying condition that his body was fighting, and none of them worked. For a few weeks, it seemed like he was going to lose the fight. He went to a specialist to get a second opinion as everything was falling apart, and the specialist gave him a different diagnosis. With little to lose, given the lack of progress that he was experiencing, he tried the new treatment, and the turnaround was nearly immediate. He was able to return to class, and now even decades later, he's healthy and thriving with no relapses. Now, Billy, he could have kept doubling down on the treatments that he was offered that weren't working. He could have, just like Solomon. He could have tried to just muscle through it, but I'm so glad he didn't. And I'm just telling you, if all this series is for you is just a spiritual second opinion, I hope you'll try a different treatment plan. I don't know your story, but God does. And I'm guessing that there are days... That even when everything looks great on paper, it doesn't in private. And the life path that you're on right now feels like it's eating you alive every day. And you're wondering, is this it? Well, I have good news for you. It's not. And I believe that God has written that truth on your heart. That at your core, I think you know that there's more you were made for that even the greatest things in life, the things that seem like they are worth putting all the chips of your life investment into, I'm telling you, they will never measure up, just like Solomon's been talking about. It's chasing after the wind. Many of you have been journeying with my family over the course of this year, and a tragedy that we have been living through with the loss of my brother James. James grew up in the same abusive home that I did, and because of that, at Age 16, he left home for 15 years. We thought he died. After 15 years and a set of God designed miracles, he was released from a lifetime sentence in prison and re entered our family's life. My brother had become a survivor at a very young age out of necessity. And one of his coping mechanisms was partying and drugs. As our relationship became closer in the last few years of his life and my mom's life, we would have long conversations about what he wanted to do with the rest of his life and the role that God had already played in keeping him alive and the future that was in front of him if he took it. Ultimately, my brother, he couldn't shake the weight of his patterns and his addictions, and I hope that his life is a wake-up call for all of us, certainly Our addictions and patterns may feel less chaotic, less dire, less severe, but they can easily head in the same destructive direction. And none of the things that will ultimately destroy us start out as major compromises. They all start as just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And some of the things that can be most destructive can look the most enticing. My brother was not a Christian, to my knowledge, and neither were most of his friends, But many of them reached out to me after my brother died and they would make statements like this. They would say, I'm glad he's in a better place now. Or they would say, I'm just so glad he's not suffering anymore. And here's the thing, those are faith statements. Those reflect worldview. And when we have none, my question is, where do those come from? See, what if my brother is in a much worse place? What if the consequences of unbelief in life are devastating in reality for eternity? If that's true, not just for my brother, but for you, for me, isn't that worth a spiritual second opinion? Isn't that worth looking at the purpose we're living our lives through the lens of? That's worth a second opinion about our life. The direction that we're choosing and i know that it's not popular but popular opinion's not working anyway so maybe it's worth re-examining that too one of my brother's very favorite bands was the band the grateful dead and an ironic lyric that was one of his favorites was this he said since it cost a lot to win and even more to lose you and me bound to spend some time wondering what to choose We all have a choice. For whom will we live? And what purpose does that choice reveal? We're being told that you can choose to just not live for someone, not live for a purpose, but that's not true. The question is, who will you live for? What purpose will you live for? Are you feeding the wrong symptoms, the wrong appetites in your life? Are you chasing the wrong prizes in front of you for your life? I hope that this series can be a beacon that calls you back to your creator and an invitation to a relationship you don't have to earn because it's being offered. You couldn't earn it even if you wanted to. We all have a choice. As we think about the rest of this series, um, I want to be really upfront with you about something. The more total freedom you declare for yourself, the more you have to be able to do everything your way with no restrictions and no perceived consequences, the less purpose you will experience. And the more purpose from God that you embrace, the more God-given parameters and restrictions that you will welcome into your life for the difference between total freedom and true freedom. Total freedom will destroy you. True freedom will help you experience abundant life now and forever. There's a Greek myth that centers around Sisyphus, the king and founder of Ephraim, and he was punished for repeated treachery and deceit. He cheated death twice. You know what his punishment was? He was forced to roll a huge boulder up a hill every day to have it roll down and start again the next day. As tragic as that sounds, Let me paint a picture for you. Imagine a scenario where instead of a boulder, you have a project that you're pushing up the hill of miscommunication, bad programming, stiff competition, only to have that project or product immediately lose relevancy the moment that it's shipped. You have plaques hanging on your wall. You have things sitting on your bookcase, reminding you of accolades and accomplishments that no one uses anymore. And even if that's not true for you, it's not true for you yet. Because when our purpose is disconnected from the person who gives it to us, we will eventually be crushed by it. Just like we learned from Solomon, when our purpose has to originate and end in ourselves, We are chasing wind that we will never catch. And even if we did, we wouldn't know what to do with it if we got it. It's the dog chasing the car. In this series, we will explore the purpose that we were made for with a God we can actually know and have a relationship with. Total freedom, a life without limits, it will be seen as what it is, just another version of Sisyphus, but true freedom Freedom to our purpose, freedom to the relationship that you were made to experience forever, it's worth everything. It's worth reordering our entire life for, because it's not just about a few cycles around the sun. It's about forever. The newest version of Solomon's dilemma is something that we see when people in Silicon Valley reach a certain age and net worth Their goal goes from disrupting dilemmas in startups to disrupting the dilemma of death. They see where they're going to end up, and they start moving more and more of their money to hacking death, because this problem will eventually catch up with all of us. I've got good news for you. There is a way to disrupt death, and it is extremely expensive, but it's already been paid for the way to disrupt death, to live forever, and to live that way with the God who made you and loves you. That's what we're talking about over the course of this series. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that you come back, that we get to keep talking about it. Maybe for you, that you join a discussion group with other people who are having similar conversations. Maybe that you're going to invite somebody with you next week. Because I'm telling you, there will always be a centrifugal force in church world for us to ask questions that no one else is asking, to look into what we want, and to forget about the people. If you're a follower of Jesus, to forget about the fields white with harvest that Jesus tells us are all around us. We live in a community where 93% of the people around us have no faith at all. And I would argue they actually have a very, very strong faith. (laughs) It's just not in God. And that faith is crushing them. And God's made you a missionary. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm guessing that you did not move to the Bay Area to become a missionary, but God has you in the Bay Area to be a missionary. It's not a choice, it's calling. It's a part of living out our purpose that other people might come to know and grow in this vibrant relationship with Jesus. That when they go to work and when they go to school and when they experience relationship, they could see that there's hope even in the midst of the hurts around them. I believe that God may be placing someone on your head or heart right now, whether you're a Christian or not, somebody that should be sitting next to you next week. I'm gonna pray for them right now. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that we get to have conversations like this, that in the midst of so many competing challenges and competing priorities and competing challenge, uh, things that are literally in front of us today, this week, that you love us, that you have a plan for us, that there's a way for us to walk closer with you. God, I pray for the people that are in this room right now that they don't have a relationship with you. I pray that today is just one more conversation where you're pulling them to yourself. You're showing them this overwhelming love that you have for them. And this incredible act of generosity and sacrifice of sending your son to live a perfect life and to die in their place. And God, I pray for the people who aren't in this room yet. For people who aren't at our campuses yet. For people who weren't watching online yet. God, we didn't we didn't add another service at Menlo so that our people could be more comfortable. Get a little bit more room in the seats. We added it so that God you could move in our heart so that we could invite people, so that more people could know you. So that the Bay Area could look more like your kingdom than this kingdom more like the hope of heaven than the hurts and pains of this world. God, move us, stir us, give us the courage, give us the compassion to be able to see this need and to step into it together. God, we give all of this to you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.